Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, Tom will look at the latest Boeing Eco Demonstrator, and I'll take a look at how United is going supersonic. I'll look at the latest aircraft certified to fly to London City, while Joe looks at an unplanned stop for Air Force Two. Finally, Tom will take a look at airlines requiring crew vaccinations. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I wanted to start this week because I'm super keen to talk about Boeing's Eco Demonstrator project, if you don't mind. Go for it. (laughs) So for around a year now, I've been keenly watching the Boeing Eco Demonstrator project. And for those listeners who don't know, the project essentially sees Boeing testing new ideas on an aircraft before it's delivered to the customer. So last year, a 787-10 bound for Etihad Airways was used. And to give you some idea of what takes place, hundreds of microphones were stuck to the side of the plane with data recording instruments placed inside the cabin, and then they flew it around. Um, But before the aircraft was delivered to Etihad, they ripped all of this out, meaning that other than the registration and maybe a slightly higher number of flight hours on delivery, theoretically, Etihad would be none the wiser that the aircraft had been used for such purposes. But of course, Boeing doesn't just take the aircraft. They do get permission from the intended customer first. Well, that's good. You wouldn't want them just uh, randomly (laughs) putting microphones all over your brand new airplane. But there we go. Exactly. Um, So in the case of the Etihad delivery, one of the main test points looked at the noise of landing gear as an aircraft approaches an airport. So they placed um, aerodynamically shaped fairings over the struts of the aircraft's landing gear, and they noticed there was a a noticeable reduction in noise even before they'd crunched the numbers. Uh, Just people on the ground could hear, wow, this was quiet. So Mm. that's quite exciting. But anyway, now Boeing has revealed that it's working with uh, Alaska Airlines on the latest page in the Eco Demonstrator book. And of course, Alaska is a very special customer for Boeing because they share Seattle as their home. So Alaska is in the process of taking its huge 737 MAX order at the moment. And one of these jets, a MAX 9, is going to be the latest guinea pig. So before delivery, Boeing hopes to test 20 new ideas on the aircraft. And we don't know all of them yet, but they've told us at least four so far. Okay. So firstly, and I don't think this is particularly exciting, but I'm sure other people will, the manufacturer is going to be testing a new fire extinguishing substance that's less harmful to the ozone layer than what's being used now. Well, that's good for the environment. Yeah, good for the environment. And I mean, I love it from that point of view, but at the same point of view, it's like, give me some new plane things. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. The plane's also going going to be measuring greenhouse gases in the atmosphere while it's Uh, evaluating a new engine nacelle lining and that lining is designed to cut the engine noise so that could be a fun one for the aircraft but like we said when we were talking about the Embraer the other day not so great for av geeks and finally what I think is the most interesting actually involves the 777X and basically Boeing wants to create sidewall panels from for the cabin from the leftover waste of building the 777X's carbon composite wings so it won't be any use on the 777X because it's waste, but they want to put it to use on another aircraft rather than binning it. So that one I think is pretty exciting, but I kind of just wanted to round off this segment by mentioning one alumni of the Eco Demonstrator program that can be seen on planes today. And can you guess it? 
Joe. Is it the wiggly nacelles? No, it's not. The, that could be one, but the one I was thinking about <laughs> actually will be seen on the test aircraft. So the first eco-demonstrator aircraft, as you know and wrote about before, was an American Airlines Boeing 737-800. And on that aircraft, they tested the split wingtips that are now seen on every single 737 oh. MAX that's delivered. So... Um, the, the You do get results from this um, program. Obviously, they're not instant, but the airline, the um, Boeing is constantly taking away what it's learned from the program and putting it into action. So I'm That's very good. excited to follow the testing. And the aircraft as well just has a really nice special livery. So if you want to check oh, that out, good. just visit simpleflying.com and search Alaska Airlines Eco Demonstrator, one word. Yeah, I'll have to have a look for that as well. No, it, yeah. the wiggly nacelles did come out of it, although back then the project was called the Quiet Technology Demonstrator, mm. and this was before the environment became such a big issue for airlines. Yeah. Um, and it was all about reducing noise, um, and that's how they, they tested these wavy kind of ends to the engine and, mm. and found that it did significantly reduce noise. But that was the last of the QTDs. Mm. And then it became the Eco Demonstrator, which still looks to tackle noise issues, mm. but also, um, you Other know, there's things. a massive focus on fuel efficiency and generally mm. driving down environmental footprints. So cool. I can't wait to see the plane. Yeah, no, me neither. And interestingly, um, with the serrated nacelles, they, they're not actually on the 777X, are they? No, they don't. They don't need them, apparently. The the engines are that efficient mm. that they're no longer a benefit because obviously there's always a cost-benefit thing to be done because it does add a bit of weight, but then it reduces yeah. noise. But the engines are so big and so efficient, they run at quite a low um, sort of revolution. And that means mm. that they're, they're generally quite quiet anyway, and it wouldn't add anything to add the, the yeah. wavy nacelles, as I call them. <laughs> so... Well, yeah, I'm very excited to see it fly. And of course, we're going to report when it does and hopefully on some positive findings. So watch the space, as we like to say. <laughs> Absolutely. So from one aircraft that hopefully is going to be a demonstrator of how to be more efficient when flying to one that, well, is kind of claiming to be efficient in flight, but I'm not convinced yet. Um, hmm. So United Airlines has become the first US customer to order the supersonic passenger aircraft from Boom Supersonic. Um, so United announced last week that it would take 15 overture aircraft with options for a further 35, so potentially a fleet of 50. That's massive. Yeah, um, and I can't believe that. <laughs> I, <laughs> what I can't believe as ambitious. well is all of this amazing news stories happen on my days off. <laughs> I know, me too this time. I, I actually yeah. managed to take a day off and it all happened. But there we go. I've caught up with the news now and I'm able to share it on the podcast. So, hmm. um, so they're going to be taking them home hopefully to put into service by 2029. So this isn't something that's happening overnight. Um, and we had our route analyst, James Pearson, have a look into the most likely locations to deploy such an aircraft. Mm. Um, you know, the, I the mean, boom... off the top of my head, I'd say London, New York, but... Absolutely. I mean, the, the problem with the supersonic aircraft like Boom is there's still this problem with overland supersonic flights. They haven't mm. quite reached a resolution for this yet. So it's going to be transatlantic or potentially transpacific. However, James flagged up um, that it's got a range of up to... 4,250 nautical miles hmm. and actually that puts Trans-Pacific kind of at the edge of its range so I mean I guess that there are ways to overcome that by lightly loading it but it's already really lightly loaded anyway it only hmm. seats um, I think sort of 60 to 70 passengers so um, could you so, do yeah, a stop anyway. in Hawaii? 
You you could, you could. I mean, um, that I would think... possibly still be quicker than the slow flight. I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, they reckon it can fly from Newark to London Heathrow in three and a half hours and to Frankfurt in four mm. hours. So it's oh, pretty quick. So I can see it. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. If you're listening, United, Frankfurt for the first destination. <laughs> um, well, James put his money on um, flights from Newark and Washington Dulles, um, likely to Northern Europe, including Heathrow, Paris, Charles de Gaulle, and possibly Frankfurt. Hmm. Um, but definitely Heathrow to Newark is almost certain to be the launch route. Um, well, you, know, you know, if we have a... Go on. I think I think like Frankfurt is in a good shout because they wouldn't. It's got to be on someone's mind if they put it in the marketing, you know. Yeah, I think so too. And it's a huge hmm. hub, you know. It's it's the European hub for kind of East and West. So I think it would make sense. Um, but looking at Heathrow, I mean, that is United's largest premium market by some way. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got six daily departures even in the winter season. Hmm. Um, that's twice as many as they have from Dulles and O'Hare to Heathrow. And yeah. you know, previously they were served by their seven five sevens, but now they're all seven six seven three hundred ERs. Um, and these just have a hundred and six. Seven seats. I think you've, you've we've looked at the United Seven Six Seven before. It's really low capacity, really yeah. high premium. It's got forty six Polaris seats, which is huge. Mm. Um, Twenty two in premium plus, forty three in economy plus. So there are just fifty six seats that are bog standard economy, and I think that goes a long way to showing just how premium this this market really is. Um, and it's about the only one where a plane like the Overture could really work um, yeah. because, like I said, it's very low capacity. Um, it can take up to 88 seats, but it's mm. more kind of designed at the 65 to 70 seat market. And um, it's in I a think one... you can just straight away say that uh, New York to London will work because it worked before, you know, there's it obviously now we have Zoom, yeah. but I can still see people wanting to go to New York for a meeting and then come back. <laughs> Yeah, I can think. I think it could be a goer. Um, you know, it's uh, it is lower density than the hmm. the Concorde was, and it's slower as well. It only reaches Mach one point seven, whereas Concorde was twice the speed of sound. Um, and it's got a one one cabin, not the two two that's on Concorde. So, you know, it's it's an kind interesting of more business premium. choice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, but I think this is all about its sustainability credentials because that's what everybody's up in arms about with the whole move to supersonic. How are we potentially damaging the environment or creating a problem for the future when we're supposed to be driving down our carbon footprint? Mm -hmm. um, but Boom have actually said this aircraft is planned to be net zero from launch. Um, so it's this is a combination of using materials like carbon composites, titanium, aluminium. It can reach the supersonic speeds without the use of afterburn. And from the get-go, it's planned to operate fully on sustainable aviation fuels. So, you know, they've kind of designed in its green credentials. But mm. I think, you know, in the United Order, they made crystal clear that their order, even the Firm 15, is absolutely subject to Overture meeting its performance and environmental expectations. So, yeah. like they say, the proof is in the pudding, really. Mm. Um, and we'll, we'll, we will have to wait and see if it does it. But with any luck, Overture will roll out the full-scale version in 2025 with its first flight a year later um, and like I said they're hoping to enter service by 2029 so mm. uh, we shall have to wait and see how that uh, that order plans out mm. well I mean I'm interested because I I kind of just look at it all of this very skeptically like the 
supersonic thing and the electric taxis that they were talking about a couple of months ago. It just all seems like bonkers to me, but I can, it's I can see how it's all very futuristic. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> we are moving forward through time and space, so yeah. fingers crossed things are yeah. Tune happening. Tune in to I mean... episode 502 of the Simple Flying Podcast to find out if United <laughs> Airlines makes it work. Definitely. <laughs> So you were going to tell us something about something a little bit smaller and yes. uh, not quite so fast. <laughs> yes, not quite so fast, but um, it, it descends probably a lot faster than um, the, the boom will. So I wanted to talk about the latest aircraft to receive certification to fly to London City Airport. And for those of you who don't know, London City Airport is a tiny commercial airport located in the heart of London. And I actually got to fly from the airport a couple of weeks ago, and it was crazy how small the departure lounge was. It was, I think I've been to some nightclubs bigger than that, you know, (laughs) it really is a tiny one, especially (laughs) considering like it's part of the biggest, uh, the busiest airport city system in the world. Yeah. But anyway, so City Airport has a short runway as well as an interesting approach and the final approach for most air- airports sees aircraft touching flying down and touching on the runway at an angle of around three degrees from if you consider the ground as flat and then go up three degrees mm-hmm. um so at london city this is almost doubled to five and a half degrees and in order to land at the aircraft, uh, airport, aircraft needs what's called a steep approach certification. So back in podcast 63, you talked to us about the Embraer E2 program. I did. Well, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I know. Well, I think I might be a fan now after this as well. So in May 2018, Embraer flew its Profit Hunter E190 E2 to London City Airport. And you might know this aircraft as the one with the big shark painted on the nose. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, So the trip to London City was to complete flight tests for steep approach certification. And it seems as though patience is what you need for EASA certifications because they flew these flights in May 2018 and they got the... um, Was it May? They flew the flights in July 2018, sorry. And they got the certification in May 2021, so three years later. um, (laughs) But now the E2 has been certified for steep approaches to the airport. Um, They did have to modify the aircraft to make it possible. So to make sure that it's able to complete the steep approach, they had to tweak the E2 software slightly. And I'm assuming this is so the computer doesn't freak out when it sees that the plane's falling out of the sky faster than it should. But to make sure that it does freak out when it's supposed to, they've also added a steep approach switch to the cockpit. So you've got to tell the plane, I'm doing a steep approach. Right, got it. Interestingly as well, pilots operating steep approaches need to undergo additional training. But there's a good piece of news for Embraer and potential airlines here in that because the E-190 and the E-190E2 share the same cockpit, pilots who are already rated on the E-190 to do the steep approaches don't require any additional training. And if you look at the numbers, according to Embraer, 70% of London City's movements are on Embraer aircraft. So that means that the E2 could perhaps be a shoe-in for when the BA City Flyer fleet needs to be replaced and perhaps some others like Alitalia's little city flying. And I mean, of course, we've already seen KLM City Hopper taking E2s. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, it's also great news for London City Airport, though, because the airport recently built a new taxiway and eight stands with the E2 in mind. And while you could use them <laughs> you for hope that they're going to turn up. <laughs> you know, it would be a bit sad if you built them and they didn't come. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so, I mean, that's that's sort of an exciting one to watch. Um, 
I'm hoping that BA will someday end up with them. But given that I think their oldest E190 at the moment is only 13 years old, probably a couple of years yet. Yeah, it'll be a little while yet, I expect. Mm. So I wanted just to talk a little bit about a VIP aircraft that we don't often Ooh. discuss, <laughs> which uh, is probably not one you're ever going to get to go on, I'm afraid, Tom. But uh, <gasps> Air Force don't 2 is uh, the moniker given to, well, it's given to any aircraft that's flying the current vice president, um, mm. you know, and sometimes they fly on the, seven four, the, the modified 747s, but most often they fly on the modified Boeing 757s, which are also known as the VC-32s. Um, mm. And there's four of them actually in the fleet of the Air Force. And uh, Kamala Harris was off to Guatemala on Sunday last week for official government business. She departed Joint Base Andrews in the afternoon. Um, but shortly after takeoff, the aircraft experienced a technical issue and had to return to Andrews. So they've been very, very tight lipped over what actually happened. Um, but Mrs. Harris actually tweeted something that said that they said a little prayer and there were some funny noises coming from the landing gear. But apparently everything was fine. They they got back OK. Mm. Um, you know, it could have been anything, really. But they were obviously acting with an abundance of caution. So yeah. I, I just thought this was a good opportunity to have a little look at the 757s because in general aviation terms, they are kind of getting old. You know, they, they were all delivered mm. in 1998. So they're all now over 22 years old. However... Still younger than me. Um, <laughs> and me, by some way. Um, so the US government has now finally decided it will not replace the fleet. Um, mm. They've been undertaking an extensive study into a potential replacement for the aircraft that started about four years ago. And they actually had a, a large amount uh, of money request in the US Air Force's budget for 2022, which mm. was to be to order the replacement planes for these uh, VC-32s. Um, but now the Pentagon's elected to halt all plans to replace them. It's not going to happen they're going to stick with the 757 so why um i asked myself well uh, you know, I, think... I would say why because just the first thought that comes to my mind is angela merkel's a340s that yeah. end up <laughs> seeing her flying iberia and i can't see kamala harris or um jumping on jet blue Biden or something if he's <laughs> on the 757 on jet blue yeah yeah exactly um but well they are fairly low it, low use in terms of cycles. They're not commercial aircraft. So mm. the US Air Force remains confident that they're still capable aircraft and will be for some time. I should imagine they get tip-top maintenance as well. Mm. Um, but the main problem here is there is no replacement for them. Um, you know, Boeing hasn't issued a replacement for the 757, nor have they for the 767. So really, if they were looking to stay American, the biggest thing they could get was the 737 MAX 10, which is kind of not coming for a little bit and uh, yeah. you know it's still not really a 757 is it it's nothing like as big or as capable um they could also go but for a very small it does <laughs> they could also <laughs> go for a very small dreamliner true true <laughs> um but you know again it's it's not a perfect match mm. um you know I but feel these... small dreamliner is more sort of would be better to replace the 747 <laughs> Yeah, it's not ideal. You know, the 757 is intended to be able to fly where the wide bodies can't. So mm. it's not ideal to kind of move to the wide body side of things. Um, but, you know, from the outside, it looks like a normal 757, but the interior is quite something else. And, you know, they've spent a lot of money on it. It's got very 21st century avionics. Um, and they actually, the, the US Air Force has said in some of its literature about this aircraft, they love it because it stands so high. Now, the 
737, we know, stands very close to the ground, which was mm. originally intended to make cargo loading easier, etc. But because the C-32 stands so high off the ground, it's really easy to check it from a security point of view mm. um, and to keep it safe for the passengers. So, um, you know, it's, it's the ideal aircraft and they haven't got a replacement at the moment. And during the Trump administration, much of the interiors of the four C-32As were refitted with a much more luxurious finish very much akin to what we see on the current Air Force One. Mm. Um, you know, and they reckon it cost about $16 million per aircraft. So they're probably looking to get their money money's worth out of those yeah. refits as well. But what I did find interesting was that the Air Force has actually redirected the funding that was intended to replace these aircraft into research and development contracts for three American startup companies. Now, the first of those is Exosonic. The second one is Boom Supersonic, which, as we know, are both developing supersonic passenger jets and the third is Hermaeus which is developing a hypersonic passenger aircraft um, so the budgetary documents that I came across stated that the revised investment will bolster evaluation and maturation of these high speed aircraft um, potentials and that mm. they may well have the potential to serve as C-32A replacements at the appropriate time mm. so uh, we could well see <laughs> a supersonic Air Force 2 and I know mm. we've spoken about supersonic Air Force one, but I think for presidential transport, if it works, if it's environmentally realistic, then, you know, why not get there in half the time? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I can certainly see benefits from sort of the US president being able to be in London within um, like three hours. Three or four you know? hours. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right now definitely. it's like a big, a big thing to go across, yeah, but like three or four hours trip. is not, it's like traveling LA to London. Um, not even that, is it? LA to New York, I think. Yeah, yeah, can't exactly. Remember that. I've done it. I can't remember the <laughs> flight time. <laughs> you were probably asleep, knowing you, Tom. <laughs> no, I can't. I look out the window the whole flight. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's where we are with the Air Force Twos. And uh, mm. can't wait to see the, the boom or the potentially the exosonic in uh, the lovely blue livery of, of Air Force One and Two. If it's kept. <laughs> <laughs> if it's kept, yeah. Mm. Well, I wanted to sort of stick with the US and sort of close up the podcast by talking about vaccines. Um, it's quite a divisive subject, um, but it seems like vaccines really are the answer to the COVID-19 crisis at this point. And I'm pleased that I'm getting my first one at the weekend. Um, <laughs> Lucky you. While I'm excited to get it for personal reasons, it seems that some may need it for professional reasons in the future. So yesterday, we yesterday, if we're as we're recording this, so probably a couple of days ago, as you're listening to it, um, we reported that United Airlines will require new employees to have a certificate of vaccination. And this is going to be alongside any other qualifications they may need, like a pilot's license or um, sort of university certificates, whatnot. Um, and it's, it's not really a huge surprise because United CEO has never made a secret of the fact that he wants vaccines to be mandatory for all employees. Um, it's not quite there yet because we recently mm. reported that United Crew would get extra days for receiving the COVID vaccine following an agreement with the Association of Flight Attendants. And that meant that they were stopped short of making it mandatory so far. Um, but it's not going to be, it, it will be mandatory for new employees to have the vaccine according to a memory, a memo seen by <laughs> Skift's Brian Summers. So, oh, right. Um, according to the memo he shared on Twitter, it's going to apply to all job offers issued after June 15th. But of course, for those who can't be vaccinated for medical or religious reasons, they will be accommodated. Um, 
And it seems as though at United, uploading a vaccine certificate is just going to become as common as uploading a CV when you apply for a job. It's bizarre. I mean, I think it raises an awful lot of questions about human rights and all Mm. sorts of complicated and um, very divisive things that uh, I guess United is not scared to address. But I think it's something that all airlines and other employers too are going to have to contemplate over the coming months and years. It is interesting because like there are other vaccines that are mandatory for like, say, if you fly to China or uh, Asia, you need like the yellow fever vaccines, uh, yeah. I think, isn't it? So, um, you know, like it's not a new thing to have mandatory vaccines. But I was also looking at the other side of the Atlantic in Riga. Um, because vaccine progress is being made at Air Baltic. So almost 70% of the airline's uh, employees are now vaccinated at the last count. Um, And recently, the airline's begun to rehire staff that were laid off due to the pandemic. But interestingly, like United, these employees must be vaccinated. Oh, right. And it's interesting because I'm led to believe that it's maybe perhaps a government requirement in Latvia because I spoke to the airline CEO, Martin Gauss, in March and we were talking about vaccinations and he was very much against um, him mandating Mandating them. He told me, I think I have no right to order it of an employee. I'd like to have a situation where I can say all of our crew are vaccinated, but we can't order people to do that. um, Perhaps it's a governmental thing then. Yeah. Um, cause he doesn't like, he doesn't strike me as the type of person to say one thing one day and change it the next day. Um, so that's an interesting one to watch, but uh, you know, like personally, I'm all for getting vaccinated, getting people vaccinated, but like, like he says, you know, we can't force anyone. No, exactly. I think it's a big old can of worms that they're going to have mm. to deal with in, in the coming weeks. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's almost as if we're going to say, well, if you don't get your jab, you can't go traveling and, uh, that's a yeah, well, terrible you know, like, thing to contemplate, but, you know... I it's... think it's an interesting one because I think right now it would be a terrible thing to say because not everyone's had the chance to have it. Yeah. Um, you know, but I could see it, like, there's other vaccines that are required to travel to certain parts of the world elsewhere, so true, I can't see true. why the COVID-19 vaccine might not be become one of them. Yeah, I guess once 100% of the world has been offered the vaccine, whether they've taken it or not, then uh, that's Mm. the time when we can maybe start being a bit more heavy-handed about it. But uh, anyway, that's uh, all very interesting. We'll have to see if any other airlines follow suit. But Mm. uh, for now, I think that's about all we've got time for today. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and welcome your feedback as usual at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.